We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Okay, so I've been, we've been dealing with a series titled Afrorontes, Eyes on the Prize. When um, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, therefore seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that is set before us. And then he goes on and says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The word used for looking in Hebrews 12, 2 is the word afrorontes. And we have explained in the course of the series that it means beyond just looking. English says looking as though to see something. But the Greek word used in Hebrews 12 to afrorontes is to focus on something so intently that it is the only thing you see. In the midst of everything else that might be in your field of view. Do you understand that? So you're looking at something in your field of view. And we, 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 we borrowed a lot from photography illustrations to drive our points home. If you pick up your phone or your camera and you want to frame a, a, a photograph or you want to take a picture or snap a picture, as the layman will say, in the midst of your object are other elements in your field of view, right? And so you see them, the, a properly framed shot is such as crops out as much of the noise or as much of what is not the object as possible and focuses so intently on the object that anybody looking at the photograph will know what you intended to snap. Does that make sense? So over time, photography develops what they call a bokeh or a bokeh effect, which essentially blurs out everything else that is not intended to be your object. And in blurring out everything else, it brings into view what your object is. Such that when you pick a picture and look at it, if there's a picture of me, you will not confuse it for a picture of the pillar. Make sense? If there was somebody passing by when you snapped me, you will know that even though that person made it into the picture, what was intended to be captured was me. Make sense? And hence the popular phrase photobombing. Right? You're, you're snapping some, something and then somebody else or something else comes into your field of view. That is the word Afrorontes. You focus on something so intently that it is the only thing that you see. That's why in professional cameras, you have what is called a viewfinder. That little piece of glass that you will close one eye and squint the other eye to look through in order to see your object through it. If you just pointed your camera at an object without looking through a viewfinder, chances are you will miss the object of your shot. True or false? Or you take a very, very, very sloppy photograph. Very, very sloppy. So you shut one eye and you squint the other and look right through the viewfinder so you can focus. And then when you look through a viewfinder, if you've ever used one, you'll find that there's a little square box. And, and the idea is that your object feels as much of that square box, which is called your frame, as possible. Make sense? So whatever is outside that square box that you look through your viewfinder will obviously not make it 
into the photograph. That's why some of you have posed for your photo before, and when it was taken, alas, who has it happened to? You posed so intently, and at the end of the day, it just wasn't wide enough to include you in the photograph. That is how we are called as believers to look at Jesus. Until we are looking at Jesus so intently that he's all we see in the midst of the noise, we are distracted. Until we are looking at Jesus so intently that in spite of everything, he's all we see. Not him and then some, but him or him. We're distracted. So it behoves us, it, it, it behoves us to ensure that in our, in our walk through life, we are careful to see who we ought to see, one, and two, we are careful to see him how he ought to be seen. I gave you an example of when we were very little. Um, Auntie Stella will probably notice those, those glasses, or maybe she too used them. I don't know. But when we were very little, we had these glasses we used to wear for Christmas. They would have a rabbit on the top. Yeah? Do they still have those? They still have them? Wow. They would have bunnies, you know, on the top or something. And they were different colors. And in order for there not to be a fight in the house, they would buy different colors for all the siblings. So you will have red, the other person will have green, the other person will have blue, the other person will have purple, you know, you know, all the different colors so that nobody confuses their goggles <laughs> with another person's. And then you go out at Christmas or, you know, a Boxing Day, whatever, and you're going around and you look at stuff if you're wearing blue, those blue guys, everything you looked at will be blue in color. Even a red shirt will be blue. White sky, blue. Water, blue. Everything just blues out. And then you're like, oh, what a blue world. Everything is just so blue. And then your sibling will ask you, what's wrong with you? Where are you seeing blue? When everything is red. Because they're wearing the red version of those glasses. So everything they look at is seen in red. A high gamma, right? If you did physics a bit. And while red and blue are wondering what's going on, the green person is wondering what in the world you guys are arguing about. Because all he can see, or all she can see, is green. So life is reduced to what you see and how you see it. You could therefore be arguing along red lines, arguing along blue lines, or arguing along green lines because of the kind of lenses you're wearing. Are you with me? But until you're wearing the right lenses, you cannot be said to be seeing the right thing. You can't. Jesus prayed for a man who was blind. And he asked him, what do you see? <laughs> he said, I see men as trees. 
Jesus said, come here. <laughs> Take some more until you can see men as men. Because when you see men as trees, you want to climb them. Or throw stones at them. Because by the time you see men as trees, by tomorrow you will see fruit on those trees. Talk to me now. So it's important, not just what you see, but how you see what you see. And we are called as believers to focus so intently at Christ that there's nothing else to see. Nothing else. Because really, for a believer, there is nothing else to see. There was so much mess in the Corinthian church. I've told you the scripture over and over. And Paul will write them. And even though he tried to scare them every now and then and let them know that, listen, don't mess with me. Because I know you guys have started saying that, you know, I, I, I can only write strong, strong words in letters. And when I come, I'm not this forceful. 2 Corinthians 19 to 10. Right? But every now and then when he addressed them, he will remind them of who they were in Christ. <clears throat> At the point, he said to them, for I determined to know nothing else among you other than Christ and him. In the midst of your mess, Christ and him crucified. In the midst of your sickness, Christ and him crucified. In the midst of your persecution, Christ and him crucified. In the midst of your hardship, Christ and him crucified. In the midst of your divorce, Christ and him crucified. Because you see, eternity will not undo what Christ did because of what you're going through. That's a line you should not forget right there. Eternity will not undo what Christ did because of what you are going through. On the contrary, what you are going through will have no option but to align to what Christ did. Because that is what is constant. You see, our walk with God is built on eternal truth, not seasonal truth. Do you understand? So as a believer, you cannot be caught up in chasing seasons. Because if there's anything a believer should always remember, it's what Jesus did. Yes. What Jesus did, not what my pastor said. Not what my bishop said. What Jesus did. And he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So honestly, if you believe the way you ought to believe, every time you eat, you remember Jesus. The room went quiet. Every time you eat anything, biscuit, chewing gum, ice cream, afang soup, it does not have to look like bread and wine. It does not have to. Every time you take in anything that gives you physical life, you remember him that says, I am the resurrection and the life. Every time. Not when you go to sing praise worship on Sunday morning. Not when you're about to pray. Not when it's a special Thanksgiving service. Not when we say it's communion and healing and impartation service. Then you remember Jesus. Oh, every time you do this in remembrance. Are we together? That's what we're called to do. Remember what Jesus did. Because there's no way you can ever outgrow the finished work of Christ. You will never get to a point where you say, you know what, we have preached Christ enough, let's preach something else. What else is there to preach? What else? Paul had done things that 
other humans could only dream of. He had been to realms and he had seen things that one, he, he was not allowed to say, two, he was punished for seeing in the manner of speaking. Right? Second Corinthians 12. He says, on account of the weight of the revelations, a messenger of Satan was dispatched to buffet my flesh, lest I become puffed up. So the things that Paul saw had the capacity to make him so proud that he will exit his skin. So take a second and begin to imagine what it was that Paul saw. Begin to imagine what it was that Paul saw. That he says, are not lawful for a man to say. You know he said that? 2 Corinthians 12. Now we are, I say it all the time. We are here still arguing. One save, always save. One save, forever save. By grace, not works. That's just a little. Do you know what we are arguing about and calling doctrine? It's not even doctrine. It was from letters reminding them about what he had taught them. Yes. So if some believers happen to be in the church where Paul was actually teaching the weighty things. Has anybody imagined it? Yes. Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, the, all the, the Pauline epistles are not the teachings of Paul. They are letters drawing from a few bits of what he taught to address particular issues. Yes. So if the church in Galatia did not have Judaizers trying to tell them you must add works to your faith, Paul would not have written to them in Galatians and said, let any other person be accursed if you preach any other gospel. So Paul was writing Galatians to checkmate an infiltration of a wrong gospel. Do you understand? So he says, in, if you check all the letters that Paul writes, he says grace to all the churches, grace and peace to you. I thank God for you in Christ Jesus. Galatians 1 doesn't start with all that sweet things. Yes. Have you noticed? Yes. Galatians 1 just starts straight. I marvel that you are turning away so quickly. He was upset. He was upset. I marvel you are turning away so quickly from this gospel to another gospel which is not another. Chapter 2 continues it. Chapter 3 he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in grace, will you now continue in the law? So I ask you, the miracles that have been worked in you, are they being worked in you by the teaching of faith, by the hearing of faith, or by the works of the law? So Paul wrote Galatians to answer to a problem in the Galatian church. Paul did not write Galatians to teach Galatia the gospel. <laughs> Do you understand? Paul did not write Ephesians to teach Ephesians the gospel. He wrote them to encourage them like in the case of the Philippians, who were like the most sane church, as it were, and then the guys in Thessalonica. So imagine that you were privy to the things that Paul was teaching when he was teaching them, like this. Heavy meat. And then Paul tells you that even what he taught, from which he wrote, and nothing compared to what he saw that were not allowed permissible for him to speak. Are you following me? The things that he taught would have been really heavy. I mean, we are struggling with the letters. Letters. Epistle means letter. Letters he wrote from prison. We are struggling with the things he wrote. What if you sat there hearing what he taught firsthand? How much more he saw things 
that were not legal for him to speak. Here Paul at the end of his journey, just before dying in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. Somebody that saw what no other mortal had ever seen. Somebody that saw stuff so heavy, heaven had to punish him for it. Before, lest he become puffed up, lest he become proud. Second Corinthians 12. So people are looking at me like I'm telling a story from, from Walt Disney. Second Corinthians 12. Did you come for Bible study? Yes. Only six people answered. Did you come for Bible study? Yes. Did you come for Word and Life? Yes. Awesome. Same spirit, different location. Don't be distracted. Same spirit, different location. More people, same spirit. More lights, same spirit. More space, same spirit. Nothing has changed. Everything changed. <laughs> Second Corinthians 12. I will stick to the NLT. If you have a Bible or a phone, please punch it. I beg you. So you can see it for yourself. Second Corinthians chapter 12. From verse 1. If someone next to you doesn't have a Bible, please share. Keep a lookout. And share. If you came with a Bible and you have a device, pass your Bible on to someone that doesn't have its word and life so we can all see this in our Bibles. Is that all right? 2 Corinthians 12 verse 1. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so outstanding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience, verse 5, is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I wouldn't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Are you there? Yes. And then he goes on and says, three times I begged the Lord to take it from me. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And because the Lord said, my grace is sufficient, I will then boast in my weakness because when I am weak. So for the rest of Paul's life, he carried an affliction on account of the weight of revelation. So can you begin to imagine the weight of what Paul saw? That it was illegal for humans. So Paul tapped into a dimension that humans cannot tread. 
And this is the same guy in chapter 3 of Philippians that says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But I myself am trying to lay hold of that for which I was apprehended. One thing I do, forsaking what is behind and I'm pressing towards what is ahead. I press for the mark of the price of the high, which higher calling are you looking for? Uncle Paul. And he explains it in chapter, in verse 10, that I may, no, there is not just head knowledge. That's ginosko in the Greek. No, there is epignosis. To have an experiential, transactional knowledge of something. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformable unto his death, that perhaps I might also attain resurrection from the dead. So there's nothing else to know except Christ. If a preacher tells you, is it Christ will be preaching till Christ comes, you are in the wrong place. Did you hear what I said? You're in the wrong place. Is it only Jesus will be preaching? Only Jesus will be preaching. Only Jesus every time. Sunday service, Wednesday. Every time, only Jesus. Yes, sir. And even if you preach Jesus five times a day, every day for a hundred years, you will not have scratched the surface. You will not have scratched the surface. You will not have time to preach wisdom for righteous living. Didn't you hear what William said? Profound stuff. That unto us is the power and the wisdom of God. Ephesians 3. Foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, the twofold power and wisdom of God. So if you are preaching wisdom, preaching um, 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 relationship, 21 keys to having a healthy relationship. 65 steps to living a prosperous lifestyle. You have not seen Jesus. You haven't seen Jesus. And I say this with no apology. 19 ways to prosper. 31 ways to kill all the demons in your village. 75 sure fire prayer points for deliverance. <laughs> don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Yes. And then people like that will tell you, Jesus won the battle, but there are some you must fight. So Jesus won the battle and then left. So how is it finished? No, let's, let's even assume they don't know what it, what it is finished means. They don't know Greek. They don't know Tetelestai. No problem. At least everybody knows that Jesus said it is finished. Please, what does finished mean? If it is not finished. And that is the principle that Africans carry into life. Have you finished cooking? Yes, remaining the meat. <laughs> Yeah. 
Is my dress ready? Yes, remaining the arm. Or remaining the zip. Have you finished repairing the tire? Yes, remain to pump it. So with Africans, there is always something remaining. It is never fully finished. And it affects our professional lifestyle. Affects our relationships. Affects our vocation. Affects our business. And that's always a religious mindset. You must have your own war to fight. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not... We, we killed that demon last week. Yes. It's, not, it's not for fighting demons. The like Corinthians temple. No, it's not. No, believers are not called to fight the devil. He was disarmed. Colossians 2 is very clear. Now, if you, are, if, you, if, you, if you are fighting someone and you disarm the person, how can the person then win victory over you or even pose a threat over you if they have been disarmed? Being disarmed is to remove them of all the arms, ammunition, weapons. You take them. If somebody has been disarmed, they are armless and therefore harmless. How then can you now be you that you are now hid with Christ in God and now coming to fight an armless and say the devil is mind of God. Children of God, the devil is very powerful. The Bible says be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil. (laughs) We're not called to preach demonology. We're not called to preach numerology. One, the number of, two, the number of, three, the number of grace. Four, the number of completion. Five, the number of, seven, the number of profession. Twelve, the number of government. Forty, the number of old age. We are not called to preach numerology, whether biblical or not. We're called to preach Christ. The power and the wisdom of God. Our sanctification, our righteousness our redemption, our healing, our peace, our justification, our righteousness. He's all we preach. He's all we teach. And if we believe, it is him we believe. If it is him we believe, we must see him as he is, how he ought to be seen. And we must cut out all the distractions. And distractions have never been more intense than they are now. Especially in this era where everybody is preaching finished work. Everybody is preaching grace. Everybody is preaching liberty. And people are jumping over bridges and bringing strange doctrines into the body. Strange doctrines into the body. I've said over and over, you must be careful what you eat and how you eat. So we started to look at the distractions. We looked at a few of them. We started with the distraction of frivolities, right? Right? And then we went into the distraction of necessities. Am I correct? And then the distraction of priorities, of liberties, and of opinion. Last week was very, very intense. And from a mini-series, we are now at what will be part eight today. All right? So it's no longer a mini-series. If you're just joining us, all our teachings are online on Podbean. You can get them. Just speak to someone um, at the end of the meeting so you can follow through with 
all that's going on. We don't have all the time to go into that again. Let's look at one more distraction in our pursuit of Christ. Um, and that is the distraction of purpose. And that's very crazy, isn't it? Let's talk for a minute. What is purpose? Anybody? Just speak from where you are. What is purpose? One subject that always has students. Talk to me now. Seminars, workshop, symposia, papers, theses, um, lectures, right? Um, teachings, preachings, motivational speakings, right? On this seemingly inexhaustible subject. Purpose, it always catches everybody's attention. What then is purpose? There's no right or wrong answer, so everybody speak. Essence to why we leave. Just speak, it's not, you know. The reason why something's created. An intended plan. Something you tend to achieve, a goal, sorry, an aim. What is purpose? A target, perhaps, sir, an objective. Yeah, <coughs> any more? Sorry, are we done? My, my father gave me a, a definition many years ago. I was just a teenager. And it's a very simple definition. He says, purpose is the original intention in the heart of the manufacturer when he created a product. <laughs> purpose is the original intention in the heart of the manufacturer when he created a product. So purpose is not what I can do with the product. Purpose is what the product was designed to do. Do you understand the difference? I mean, you can look at the microwave and think, this thing makes cold food hot. So I can put my wet clothes in it and it will make my wet clothes dry. Good luck. <laughs> Let us know how your experiment pans out. If you survive <laughs> to tell the tale. And we have tried to deploy a few things for purposes for which they were not created. My hand is up. I had fun doing it as a child. I had fun destroying things. I had fun trying to make a radio a microphone, you know, invert the polarity of the speakers and you blow something and you're upset that your purpose was ruined. You forget that you were distorting the purpose for what you were trying to do. But purpose is the original intention in the heart of the manufacturer when he created a thing. Therefore, a product has no say on its purpose. 
Right. You see, this, this is what they don't teach you in motivational school. A product cannot determine its purpose. It's not a sponge that says, I feel like washing plates. Somebody sat down and thought that by adding this material and that ingredient and that ingredient at this proportion, he can fulfill the need of getting plates washed. True or false? A product has no influence on its purpose. It has no choice but to do what it was designed to do. Therefore, or following from that, any deployment of a product outside its purpose is error. Even if it produces results. So even when that deployment produces results, it is error to deploy a product outside its purpose. Are we together? It's, it's when you begin to consider purpose along these lines that it begins to make sense. The top drugs, cocaine, uh, meth, uh, what's the other one? What? The, no, no, the one you shoot up. He, he, heroin. And then, then the lesser ones, codeine and all the others, are actually medical drugs. Administered in controlled proportions to deal with specific ailments. But when deployed in other ways, they produce adverse results. What then is man's purpose? Against this backdrop. Yes? <laughs> Look at the time. <coughs> What is man's purpose? That is when you begin to, again, consider the purpose question very carefully. Because to understand man's purpose, the man, Holy Spirit, help me. Man, therefore, is not in a position to understand or explain his own purpose. Because before man can be a creator, he is first a creature. So man has a manufacturer who owns all the patents. You know what the patent is? All the different filings, the copyright laws of the processes that come together to form man. It's called a patent. Does that make sense? That's the difference between a patent and a copyright. So a copyright is, is intellectual property rights for, for a particular product. A patent is, I designed a phone, and I designed the phone to have a fingerprint on the side instead of on the back. So you can't copyright a side fingerprint. You file a patent 
saying that while every phone has a fingerprint, we own the exclusive right of the fingerprint being on the side of the phone. Do you understand? That is a patent. So one device can have like 2,000 patents. Do you understand? While everybody else solders lead with copper, we soldered aluminum with copper. We file a patent. So if anybody else will solder aluminum with copper, even for the same device, they must collect patent permission from us. Does that make sense? That's how companies like Apple stay on top of their game. They are not necessarily innovators. They just file every patent, including how the phone wakes up from sleep. Somebody just learned something new. The animations by which a phone sleeps and wakes up is a patent. So one phone can have 2,000, 3,000 patents. So you try to copy it, you can try, but there are some processes you cannot duplicate because only the manufacturer owns the patents. Even if it's an open source like Android. Are you following me? Now, man's entire patents are owned by one manufacturer. You don't own any. So you can't dictate your function. You can't dictate your function. Your life is not your own. <laughs> so you can follow all the motivational speakers of the world, follow all the success teachers of the world, apply all the steps they ask you to apply and still end up at a dead end. Because a product cannot show a product its purpose. <laughs> Can't. Only the producer. Of, for every product, sir, there is a producer. And only the producer can instruct the product on its purpose. What then is man's purpose? As a worship leader, you have preached a man's purpose is to praise God. <laughs> a man's purpose is to worship God. Hallelujah. Praise God. An evangelist will tell you, the purpose of man is to save souls. Evangelism is the heartbeat of God. How many of you have heard that before? The great commission is the heartbeat of God. The Bible says he that winneth a soul. So he that winneth not a soul. <laughs> And a prosperity preacher will tell you the purpose of man is to have dominion on the earth. Uh, you were created for dominion. All the confusion is because a product is trying to instruct another product on its purpose. If you get this tonight, it will set you free on so many levels. On so many levels.
A marriage man who says, my calling is to build healthy. Yeah. H-E-L-D-Y. <laughs> to build healthy marriages. Will tell you this theology. Marriage is a man's first ministry. If, if hell was ever a pit, this lie is from there. <laughs> Selah. <laughs> For this lie, hell can be a pit. So that this lie can come. Who tell you, marriage is a man's first ministry. When you see disciples saying, Master, we have left all to follow you. Mm. Why didn't Jesus tell them, go back and look after your wives and children? They're your first ministry. No, I'm not, kind of, I'm not that kind of savior. I'm not that kind of Jesus. So don't leave your wife and children and follow me. Stay at home. When you get all of them saved, come, come and follow me. I'm not advocating irresponsibility. Jesus himself said there will be no marriage after the resurrection. So how can something that is temporal become purpose? Are you following me? How can something that is not eternal? I just gave it some I just gave something away already. How can something that is temporal be purpose? How can it be your primary thing? So most of what we have turned our pursuit of life into is not purpose. And I repeat, the confusion is that the product is trying to instruct a product on its purpose. In doing that, the instructing product is out of line. The instructed product is out of line. Yes, sir. So the body of Christ is messed up. The world is messed up. The teacher has missed purpose. The student has missed purpose. Blind leading the blind. My father, one day he will come here to this room. Yes. He'll come. I'm not ready yet. And I'm ready, he will come. Said something to me many years ago. You see, I said, you can only be a good discipler when you have been discipled well. He didn't drop from the sky. We paid our price. He said, the, the beginning of every false religion is trying to find value and purpose outside God. Every false religion stems from trying to find meaning outside God. And outside God, what will you find? A product. And a product cannot instruct product on purpose when God is not enough man gets into error inevitably inevitably man gets into error I'm not sure I can finish this tonight is is anybody getting anything So, 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 so God says let us make man in our image, in our own image. And God there, the word is Elohim, which suggests a 
plurality, as it were, the combination of every God element, what you would call Trinity, even though that word is not in your Bible. There's no, the, the word Trinity is not in your Bible. The word rapture is not in your Bible. Yeah? But the concept is very, very clear of God. I mean, it's very, I mean, it, it couldn't be any clearer than God the Son being on the earth, being baptized, a voice coming from heaven, God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, and the Spirit of God hovering like a dove over Jesus. God in the flesh, God in spirit like a dove, God in the voice of the Father. It couldn't be more clear than that. It couldn't. So it's the Godhead, Elohim, saying, hence let us, right, now make man in our image and likeness and let them. So God did not create man for the let them. The let them was a byproduct of why God created man. Let us now make man in our own image and likeness and let them have dominion. Man was not created for dominion. Man was not created to multiply replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. That's a contortion of purpose. Man was created to replicate the image of the Father. The intention in the heart of the manufacturer for creating man was to see himself exact in man on the earth. If you miss that, shut up and don't talk about purpose. If you miss that, forget any teaching on purpose. Forget any book on purpose. Man's original intention, thank you, was that when God is done, God can stand from a vintage point and say, Hey God, look at God. plan. God can stand Elohim. Father, Son, Spirit and say look at God Samuel. Look at God Becky. In our image and our likeness. So man is as God image. Man is like God likeness. So not only does man look like God, man acts like God. That we might have boldness in the day of judgment, for as he is, in this world, not the world to come. Don't forget that phrase, in this world. In this world. Any omission of this is error. Dominion, making money, marrying, giving in marriage, prospering, 
having dominion, replenishing doctrine of devils. You see, that's why we are so messed up. We have not been taught the truth. We have been taught what? Opinion. Opinion. We have been taught ACGesis. Reading into scripture what it doesn't say. And once you don't get that, folks, so you will try everything. Every, you will carry a 220 volt equipment, plug it in 110, it will burn. You will shut down. You will go and try, you take it to the electrician. He will recoil it. You will take it somewhere else. You say, but this thing is electricity now. You will plug it. It will shock you. You come back to God crying. But God, why is this thing not working? I thought your word said. I thought pastor said. I thought G.O. said. Why is it not working? You are deploying yourself wrongly. God did not create you to try and survive on the earth. Uh-uh. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't create you to try and get by. He created you because there's an exact spot for you to feel yes. in your radiation of his image and likeness. Yes. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We have a few more minutes before we close. Are we there? Let me see if I can find it in a... Ah, La Prado Ghost, the higher. <laughs> Is anybody getting this thing? Yeah. You're getting it? Chapter 1, I'll read in the New King James, and then I'll read in my NLT or something. Um, I will go from verse 9 for context. For this reason we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are we together? Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It's a good place to say amen. 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. That right there is deliverance complete. No different ministry required. He delivered you now from the kingdom of darkness, the power of darkness. Why then do you need deliverance now? I mean, this is besides the point, but we might as well stay there for a few minutes. Why then do you need deliverance if he, by himself, not using a prophet, Delivered you from the power of darkness. 
and conveyed you, transported you into the kingdom of the son of his love. And you need deliverance. God cannot help you. No assignment will be enough. Am I in Calabar? No assignment. Bring blue sand. The blood of a mosquito. The lung of a bee. Left lung. No assignment. They will just use it to make money. He, did you see it in your Bible? So we are preaching the word of God, right? He has, tell your neighbor, he has delivered me. He has delivered me. No, 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 not he will deliver me. He has delivered me. So I am delivered. I am not a deliverance case. I'm a deliverance testimony. I'm a deliverance case. I'm a deliverance case. We must redeem the firstborn. I thought he became for us redemption. First Corinthians 1.30. Christ became for us the wisdom of God. That is redemption. It's a key element of what Christ did on the cross. To redeem us back to God. So whether firstborn, lastborn, middleborn, sixthborn, it doesn't matter what born. You all of us were born again. All of us. So in heaven, by God's standard, I am not a firstborn. Even though by human standards I am. It doesn't matter before God no more. We are all born again. And guess what? We're all born at the same time. All of us. All of us. Stop counting, please. Stop saying that I got born again 36 years ago. I gave my life to the Lord 46 years ago. I, I got saved 50 years ago. No, sir. We all got saved at the same time. Yes, You should say, I realized I was saved. Yeah. 43 years ago. Yeah. Don't be confusing us with multiple anniversaries. No, it's only one. It's one. It's only one. It's only one. Again, it's an African thing. You say, honey, you forgot our anniversary. The husband starts, hey, which one now have I forgotten? One year since we moved into this house. We forgot our anniversary. Two years ago, we bought this car. And it's anniversary of the first day you met. Anniversary of the first day you spoke. Anniversary of the first day you kissed. Anniversary of the first day he bought you chocolate. Anniversary. <laughs> 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 Jonathan, cho- Jonathan, cho- Chocolate. 
It's, it's all confusion. When he stretched on that cross, hey, First John 2 verse 1, I write to you these things that you do not sin. What have you seen? Ah, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not just for our sins, but for the whole world. It's in your Bible. And this is the good news that God was in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their sins against them. And has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's Christ whom we preach. The world is reconciled to himself. Not the church. No. Yeah. No. Not the church. The church consists of those who believe. That's all. Do you understand? So if you, are, if you must have an anniversary, don't say that's when you got saved. Please. We all got saved at the same time. Past, present, future. He translated us. We had the Colossians one, remember? Let's continue. Oh, my time is up. Almost up. Was I reading from my Bible? I was. I was reading New King James, right? Let's finish. We were in 13. 14. Let's go back to 13. Conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Who is that? Who is that? So let's read verse 13 again. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Christ. In whom? That's why I put that emphasis there. Do you understand? Conveyed us into the kingdom of the Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. See verse 15, that's where we are going. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. <coughs> one of my favorite beginnings of every book, of any book at all. Yeah. Hebrews 1 1. God. In the New King James. Who at various times, and this verse will not tempt me in Jesus' name, and in various ways, in time past, time past, it's tempting me already. To the fathers by the prophet in time past. To the fathers by the prophet in time past. To the fathers by the prophet. To our fathers by the prophet in time past. God who at various times and in various ways, in time past, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Has in these last days, these last days is not when Hebrews was written, it's these last days, this. Do, do you understand? Jesus said in John 4, the time is coming 
now. And now is. <laughs> so Jesus addressed both the present and the future. Such that when the present comes, it becomes the present. And when the future comes, the future becomes the present that was spoken of in future tense in the past. Do you understand? The time is coming was co talking about you and I. Yes, sir. And now is talking about them then. And everybody who had read the book at different times. Do you understand? So we say in these days, it refers to our days. So when Paul said, Peter says in Acts 2, these are the days which were written off of the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon the, these days then are these days now. Do you understand? Has in these last days spoken to us, not to our fathers in these last days, not to our fathers through the prophets in these last days, but has spoken to us by his son. Therefore, you cannot come and tell me every believer needs a prophet. Prophets argue that. They tell you as a believer, you cannot be without a prophet. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament, by a prophet, he brought them out of Egypt. By a prophet, he led them into the promised land. Your answer to them is in those days, in time past, to our fathers by the prophets. Now, I don't need a prophet, sir. He speaks to us by his son. So Christ, God is not subjecting his voice to a prophet. Yes, sir. He's not. He's not. I, I'm not I, I don't have time to teach it today. Stick around. Prophecy in the Old Testament is different from prophecy in the New Testament. Prophecy in the New Testament is very clear in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. If anyone prophesies among you, make sure prophecy comes for no reasons but other to edify, encourage, and exhort. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. So in the New Testament, prophecy does not come to tell you, if you don't do this, you will die. There's no oracle in the New Testament. For there's only one mediator between God and man. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Who is this son? Verse 2, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who, being, watch, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth be established. What is the image? Pause. Who? is the image of God. So you see, the image of God was not that God has two eyes. So you can have two eyes. God has a cute nose. So you can have a cute nose. God has two legs. 
So you can have two legs. Most times when we think of the image of God, that's what comes to mind. But you see, God cannot be like that because it means that God is at the same time fat and then he's thin and then he's black and then he's white and then he's big and then he's small. God is not confused like that. Our imagery of God is not determined by variables. It's not variables. You can be fat and thin. We are still the image of God. Not different images, the same image. Because God doesn't see your fat body. He doesn't see your thin body. He doesn't. He doesn't see how tall you are or how short you are. He either sees himself or he doesn't see you at all. So when God said, let us now make man, Genesis 1, 26, I believe, in our image and likeness, God said, let us now make man Christ. Because the image of God is Christ. This is not opinion. This is truth. Therefore, if purpose is the original intention in the heart of the manufacturer for creating a product, then the original intention in the heart of God for creating Stephen was to create a Steve Christ. Any other submission is a distortion of purpose. You see the confusion? Products trying to instruct product. Allow the producer to instruct you. And he has told you clearly what his intention is. If the image of God is Christ, then what God was looking at and drawing from when creating you was Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're there a few minutes ago, right? Read verse 15. Verse 16. For by him all things were... Did you see what I just saw? For by him. (laughs) That means the raw material... For creation, was Christ. <laughs> Do you understand? John one, John one, John one. John chapter one. It will come together so nicely now. We we'll come together. We we'll come together. Chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Please, you don't know this verse, trust me. 
leave Sunday school. Two, verse one. What are we talking about in the context? Word. Yeah? He hasn't said the word is Christ. He hasn't said the word is Jesus. He hasn't said the word is a book. He just says word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 2 begins to put it into context. Verse 2 says, he. So instantly the word takes on a personality. And we know straight away that the word is not a book. It's not an abstract. It's not a concept. It's a person. You got that? He was in the beginning with God. Now we know he's a person, but we don't know who the person is. Three, all things were made by him. This word guy is the raw ingredient by which all things were made. Colossians 1 tells us that all things were made through Jesus. John 1 tells us all things were made by a guy called the word. If all things were made by Jesus, and all things were made by a guy called the Word, the Word is Jesus. Revelation says, I saw him, one walking on a horse, and his name is the Word of God. But let's go on John 1 and establish it a bit further. He says, all things were made through him. Look at the next sentence. And without him was nothing made In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's clear now without any form of doubt that that word, guy, is the son. Christ. Now, if all things were made through him, it means that everything on the earth carries the DNA of Christ. And therefore, Christ is the purpose of every created thing. All things were made for his glory. All things. All things. All things. So to know Christ is to come into purpose. To know purpose is to see Christ. Forget what you have been taught. There's truth. There's opinion. Now, if, you, if we asked you this earlier, based on what we understood purpose to be, we have been chasing shadows. Yes. At the end of, of, of Solomon's life, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says, all has been said, all has been heard. <laughs> the end of the matter is this. 
Fear God. Amplified says, fear him, revere and worship him, knowing that he is. For this is the whole of man. The purpose of his creation. This is the whole of man. That we might know him. We are not called to chase money. But our calling is so superior that when we understand who we are called to follow, money will chase us. Take my word. Money is supposed to be subservient to the believer. Subject to the believer. If you are chasing money, you can't see Christ. I've taught you in this house, God has never been equated with Satan. The opposite of light is darkness. The opposite of black is white. The opposite of good is bad. What is the opposite of God? Devil. Don't insult God. They have never put Satan as opposite of God. The only time something successfully threatens God is money. So God has never factored the fear of devil in his relationship with you. Why are you then chasing after devil? God has never been afraid that he can lose you to Satan. Even your salvation is secure in this statement. You don't understand? God has never been afraid that he can lose you to Satan after saving you. God has been concerned, sir, that if you're not careful, he can lose you to money. So in God's agenda, in God's scheme of things, money is a bigger threat to a believer than Satan. Money can sway you in a way that Satan cannot. That's why Satan, knowing that, now uses money to keep you busy. Did you hear what I just said? Satan knows he doesn't stand a chance because you're delivered. He knows money is a major issue. So a weak Satan takes over a powerful tool called money. And all of a sudden, Satan becomes powerful. Did you hear what I just said? And he keeps you busy legitimately pursuing what should serve you. I have to close this thing. We are done. Thank you for staying this long. We usually we close like between 8 and 8.30. I'm trying to close. And they ask you, what is, oh, it's my job. This is my business. You know, we must make this money. We must make this money. And our whole life, we make what we have termed purpose become a distraction. And you can't see Christ if you think you're living for something else. You can't see Christ if you think you're living for something else. Sometimes what you are convinced is the most legitimate pursuit of your life is the primary obstruction to the full formation of Christ in your life. Please, I beg you, and I say this with every sense of concern and heaviness, 
please be careful about that degree you are chasing. This is for somebody here in this house. Be careful. I'm not saying don't go to school. But be careful that that degree has not become an idol. Because there is nothing more dangerous than when a human being says the three words that make up this phrase, at all costs. Be careful about a person who will do anything at all costs. That person has no fear, has no respect, has no regard for Jesus. Because if you do, at some point, the love of Christ will constrain you. You cannot be at all cost. It can be at all human cost, but not at all cost. Not at all cost. Be careful with that, that, that degree. Careful with the marriage. Careful with the prayer points for a good husband. Be careful. Careful for the new job. Careful. I speak from a place of both knowledge and experience. Be careful. Be very careful. Paul says, I count all things as dung for the excellency of the gospel. All things as dung for the excellency of the gospel. Christ is not a cliche. Christ comes first. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Christ comes first. If you don't get it right, you will walk perpetually in error. Perpetually. You will struggle all the days of your life and find no fulfillment. Christ is not a popular message anymore. Christ comes first. Tell your neighbor. I didn't say holiness. I didn't say righteousness. I didn't say behave yourself. Cover your head. Don't cover your hair. Wear trousers. Don't wear trousers. All of those are distractions when you cannot see what you're supposed to see. Show a man Christ. Christ will tell them how to behave. Show a man how to behave. His behavior being fixed does not show him Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you come into the house of the Lord, be quiet. Behave yourself. You are now in the house of thy Lord. Sit down, cross your legs. Say amen. We can teach you all that and you don't see Christ. We keep you busy behaving like a zombie. Robotized and manipulated and hypnotized but not seeing what you ought to see. Paul said to a messed up church, I determined to know nothing, but Christ and him crucified. You can't see Christ and not fix up. You can't. You can't. You can't see Christ and behave anyhow. So we're not teaching you how to behave. We're helping you to see Christ. You're seeing him reflect on your behavior. And we, that's why we're in this neighborhood to show Christ. Because if I tell you that you are the image of God, you too, you know that I cannot do some things. 
you know that image of God cannot slap his wife. You just know. You just know. We don't need to preach to you today. We are addressing all of you, wife beaters. All of you, the Bible says that sinners and wife beaters shall have their place in hell. We don't need to preach that kind of message. But once you come into the realization of who you are, you fix up. Do not let what the world has termed purpose become a distraction. And sometimes it can come from parents very strongly. Very strongly. At your age. All your mates. Look at uh, uh, Mama uh, Sikak. Look at her children. They have all married. The other ones have degree. The other one has moved out of his father's house. You, you are still here. You now make it a goal in life to move out of your mother's house. It becomes your target. You won't see Christ. You won't fellowship. You won't, reach, you won't read the word. You won't find out what he wants for you to do. What you were designed to do. And listen, as hard as you try to move out, you will not move out until you see what you're on the earth for. As hard as you try to marry, you not marry. No husband will see you. Make up, make down, make side. I'm looking at the time. Nobody will see you. Pastor, and no matter how I dress, nobody is seeing me. Sister, no matter how I pray, you have to see Christ. See Christ, and men will see you. See Christ, and money comes after you. Be careful what you have determined that purpose is in your life. Be, be careful. My, my prayer is that as you go tonight, you will go and reflect. This is a, this is a heavy meat for somebody. You understand? I am, I am Christ. That's the intention in the heart of the Father for creating me. As he is, 1 John 4, 17, so I am in this world. And as I behold him, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, I become him. I am what I see. So help me to see you, Lord. A man was dying. And he said that I may know him. And I know that there's somebody here that this is for. Somebody here this is for. Because this is what life is about. What you pay attention to will amplify in your life. What you despise will deal with you in your life. And we are struggling. You will go home and you will be praying. You run from two and a half hours of Bible study. And you are praying, Father bless me. Open the heavens. The heavens are open. Heavens are open. Will you take what Christ has done? Or will you try and do it by your own effort? Haven't you chased shadows long enough? Haven't you? Some of you have tried to enter this university. You have tried. You have cut off mark. You have got it. Somebody with long leg in the university, you have got it. And still, God asked Paul, Saul then, he says, I am the Lord you are persecuting. You cannot continue to kick against the prick. You cannot get somewhere and continue to hit at it when it's not the way that God wants you to take. You can't. Now I know you're used to messages that tickle your ears and make you feel sweet and cute. 
But this is the crux of the matter. That men will see Christ for who he is. For who he is. And that you will go home. I'm not saying resign from your job. I'm saying make sure that job is not an idol. And if somebody woke you up in the morning and said choose, you shouldn't cross your mind what your option will be. You shouldn't think about it. It shouldn't be an option. Do you understand? It shouldn't be an option. If somebody asks you your husband or your faith, it should not be an option. It shouldn't. I'm there right now. It should not be an option. I will choose the call any day. It shouldn't be an option. We are dead men. We're not afraid of life or death. We spend Christ. We have no life of our own. He's our purpose. Do you understand? We spend Christ. We have no life of our own. So we're not afraid of what man can do to us. We don't go to bed knowing what we're going to eat tomorrow. We don't care. If the sparrows don't care, I shan't care. Jesus said stuff before people came and said preaching nonsense. Matthew 6. He said, they neither sow nor reap. And you now, you have to sow to prosper. When birds don't sow or reap. The Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than these? Your Heavenly Father feeds them. Who feeds the birds? Your Father. (laughs) And you are afraid of what to eat. You are wondering what to eat. Your Father feeds birds who don't sow. Who don't go to church? Who don't clean church? Who don't pray? Birds, sparrows, small birds. Sweet, sweet. That's a sparrow. Sweet, sweet. Your heavenly father makes sure they eat. The blood did not die for them. The blood did not pay for them. Their sins were not forgiven. You as precious as you are. That God sent his, if it was only you on the earth, Jesus would have still come to die for only you. That's the love of the father. And then you are worrying yourself. Be anxious for nothing. Worry yourself. Don't worry yourself. Don't worry. Don't worry yourself. Tell your neighbor, don't worry yourself. yourself. Seek you first. Seek you first. Seek you first. Seek you first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things to be added. God is not a man to he will lie. Your purpose is God. Once you become God, God answers only to God. You, you see, do you, God only answers to his image. He doesn't answer to carnal things. That's why Paul says to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Who is life? Christ. Who is peace? Christ. Who is the kingdom? Christ. 
Who is the righteousness of the kingdom? Christ. Seek you first who? Christ and all his Christ. And all these things shall be added. I, I, I'm praying that in this dispensation we can be a Christ people. Just, just talk to the Lord for a few minutes before we go. Talk to the Lord. We're done. Help us to see you, Father. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.